Hello and welcome to the Profitable Practice Podcast with me, Andrea Maxim, naturopathic doctor turned healthpreneur. And every week I'm bringing you no-nonsense, no-BS, actionable strategies to create a practice that is not only profitable but fully sustainable by you. If you're an action taker like me and want to create a practice that is profitable, then you've come to the right place. Hello, everyone. This is your oh-so-green host of the Profitable Practice Podcast, Andrea Maxim. And why am I green today? I'm not sick or anything, but I'm green because we're talking about money, our finances. That's right. This is something that we as healthpreneurs are definitely not the best at, including myself. So, I always look for signs for the universe to kind of point me in the right direction, and it did, and it introduced me to John. And John Mokler is the owner of Mokler Wealth Management. He is a top producing financial planner, well known across Ontario for his advanced tax strategies and for his advanced wealth building strategies. John provides comprehensive financial planning advice to individuals as well as corporations and healthpreneurs like us. At a prior firm, John received the award for Financial Planner of the Year for five years, almost running. I'm sure there's a few reasons why there is some discrepancies there, but I know John's the man, so it doesn't really matter. Also, at a prior firm, he obtained the highest uh, ranking by qualifying for the President's Club or Elite status for seven years. So each of these awards represents the top one to two percent in that company. So this guy knows what he's doing. And it just so happens that he's also the author of Heal Thy Wealth. And it's actually through the exact same publishing company as my book, Maximized Health. And this was honestly how I met John was we were at a mastermind in Toronto. And I was just thinking, well, man, you know, if we're talking about how to profit, um, profitize, if that's even a word, your practice, especially to people like me, where I'm really good at doing the medicine side, not so good at doing the book balancing side, I thought that he would just be wonderful to speak to all of us on the podcast. And as I said, guys, I'm actually being a little bit more selfish here. I wanted to hear from him more than I really wanted to put him on the podcast because I know I need a lot of help in this particular realm. So without further ado, let's bring John onto the show. And if I missed anything, John, please don't hesitate, but I know we're going to have an amazing podcast podcast today. Well, Andrea, I want to thank you and your audience uh, for the opportunity to speak with you uh, today. It is, a, it is an exciting time, especially with uh, the naturopaths and the ability to incorporate your practice. It really opens up all sorts of financial planning opportunities. I've been working in the medical community now uh, for more than seven years, and I've been a financial planner for more than 11 years. Prior to that, I was in the high-tech industry for 18 years, and so I have a very solid background, but the first thing that we start off with is how do you approach, how do you interview your future financial planner? Because everyone has a business card, and they say they're a financial planner, but you really need to look under the covers, and that's in the book that I have written, Heal Thy Wealth, uh, how doctors continue to misdiagnose their own financial health and what they can do about it. The opening chapter deals with how to interview your future financial planner. So there's a there's 20 questions that you can actually rank your current financial planner. 
And you can also turn those questions around and actually use them as interview questions, which is very, very interesting. Cool. But when you're looking for a financial planner, you need to make sure they have a base foundation of knowledge. And so in our industry, the Certified Financial Planners designation, or CFP, is really the gold standard. And that gives you the ability to really say that you are a financial planner. But on top of that, I took it to another level. I also did what is called the CLU, which stands for the Chartered Life Underwriters designation. And in fact, I got more out of the CLU than I actually did out of the CFP. Because the CLU really deals with small business owners in complex estate planning. And so you really need to make sure that your financial planner has at least these two designations, if not more, uh, as they move forward through the financial planning process. So, you know, coming from my perspective, and I'm sure a lot of people that are listening can say, well, why do I need to hire a financial planner to help me with my money? I mean, isn't it just when I make a profit, I keep some to myself and maybe put it back in the business and I don't need someone to help me, you know, manage my money because it seems pretty straightforward. But what do you think about that? Why is it that we need to hire a financial planner, especially when we're entrepreneurs? Well, you're good at what you do in your business. And, and when I'm looking for a specialist, a, a doctor or naturopath, I'm looking for a lot of acronyms after your name. It's the same sort of thing in the financial planning industry. And so when people think they have, an, and the first thing I start off by saying is, do you have a written financial plan? If they say yes, typically what they bring out is a bunch of numbers with some projections. And, and that's not a financial plan. A financial plan really, really deals with your goals and concerns. It deals with putting what I call bumper guards around you and your family. And it also talks about developing your retirement paycheck. What, what does retirement look like? When is retirement? Uh, how much money in today's dollars do I need in order to retire? And then on top of that, it really gets into estate planning, starting off with the wills and powers of attorney and then really getting into making sure Revenue Canada doesn't become the biggest beneficiary of your estate. Okay, so we are totally gonna to be talking about that because HST and claiming things and income tax it is just so far beyond me. But I wanted to just quickly clarify something that you said. You said a financial plan versus a business plan. Now all I know of is how to create a business plan. So can you explain what exactly a financial plan is? Well, a financial plan takes a snapshot of where you are today okay. and it gets into the goals. Are you married? Do you have a spouse? Do you have children over the age of 18? Are you currently incorporated? Because, you know, the, the naturopaths are now going to be going through that same sort of process that medical doctors did because medical doctors could incorporate as of 2001, but it wasn't as advantageous for them because it wasn't until 2005, 2006 that the college allowed them to add their spouse, children over the age of 18, and their parents onto their corporation. Hmm. And so it allows you to plan. So in my book, I talk about developing and funding your children's education for free. Because once you incorporate, you have the opportunity of paying yourself either a T4 regular income or a T5 dividend income. And there's a big difference between the two because I have not met a, a medical physician yet who said, I'm really looking forward to Canada Pension Plan and retirement. 
And right? it's awful. I just found out this year that just having an employee, I have to pay double the EI, double the CPP, and then we get what? We have to pay nine, nine and a half percent for CPP for ourselves just because we're business owners, whereas the typical person pays four to five percent. Is that correct? That is correct because you're paying the, both the employee and the employer portion. It doesn't matter if you're incorporated or if you're not incorporated, you're going to be paying both on your income taxes. So yeah. by, by paying yourself a T5 dividend income, it actually avoids contributing to the CPP. And on top of that, if Kathleen Wynne has her way with the Ontario Pension Plan, you're actually going to be adding another 3% on top of that for the Ontario Pension Plan. And I've worked out the numbers. I have a math degree from Waterloo. Yes. You will never get out of the CPP in your lifetime what you contribute to it. So it's really a negative return on your money. And for those that, sorry to interrupt, but for those that don't understand all the acronyms, CPP is the Canada Pension Plan, EI is for employment or unemployment insurance, that sort of thing. So that's kind of what we're talking about here. And for those people that don't have employees, you still, regardless being a business owner, have to pay that nine and a half percent CPP every year, correct? Correct. If you're paying yourself a, T, a T4 income, Okay. If you pay yourself a T5 dividend income, then you do not have to pay that money out to the CPP. So part of the financial planning process, and it can take anywhere from one month to three months to put a plan together, it's really working with your cash flow. What do you need in order to enjoy your current lifestyle? I don't come in and change your lifestyle yeah. unless, you're, unless you want me to. Right. Because <laughs> I have had people that have asked me to come in and say, you know, we need help. Um, but I take your current lifestyle expenses and then I work out what's the most effective way of getting that money out of your corporation. And it could be a combination of T4 and T5. So it mm -hmm. could be a combination of both regular income and dividend income, or it could just be all T5 dividend income. And then we take a look at your expenses and seeing if there are some expenses you're currently paying for, because inside your corporation, you're only taxed at 15.5%, and that's going down to 15%, not, you know, not too far in the distant future. And so we're paying for $0.15 cent dollars. Just realize that once you're making over eighty dollars or $90,000 per year, it's pushing you into the highest tax bracket. So in order to take that dollar out of your corporation, you're going to be paying with 35 or $0.40 cent dollars. So if we can look at some of your expenses, and determine if whether or not they should be in the corporation because I, I have a lot of experience with expenses and making sure that they are appropriate for Revenue Canada. We can pay for those with 15.5% dollars. I'll give you an example. Mm -hmm. The first easy one is life insurance and a lot of people have life insurance and if you have a $10,000 annual premium for life insurance you would need to take out $18,700 out of your corporation, pay taxes on that money to net out to the $10,000. Whereas if you move that life insurance policy inside your corporation, you would only have to gross $11,500. So you would save close to $6,000 per year on taxes just by moving the life insurance policy inside your corporation. Hmm. And how, how that works is if, Andrea, are you married? I am. And do you have a spouse? So you have a spouse. So do you have a life insurance policy today? I do. So chances are you are what's called the life insured. You're the owner and perhaps your spouse is the beneficiary. Yes. How this would work by moving it into your corporation 
is that we would do a change of ownership from you to the corporation. We would do a change of beneficiary from your spouse to the corporation, but you still remain the life insured. And so yes. if something were to happen to you and you passed away, the death benefit gets paid into your corporation. And then a special account is created for the proceeds of life insurance called the capital dividend account. And that money flows out of your corporation tax free. Okay. So right there makes perfect business sense as to why you shouldn't be paying for personal life insurance. Personally, you really should be moving into the corporation. So we need to look at each individual policy just from a tax perspective to make sure it does qualify. But that does make sense to do that. So I'm going to ask you to take multiple, multiple steps back because I, again, this is so not my realm and I'm not following everything that you're saying. It sounds wonderful. But number one, how about we just start with what does it take for a naturopath who decides, you know, you know what, maybe incorporation would be a great idea for me. Number one, what is it? What are the steps to do that? What are the requirements to become incorporated is my first part. And then the second part is you mentioned how much do you have to gross or net a year to make incorporation beneficial for you? Because I can imagine there's some scenarios where it's not necessarily the most important thing that a company has to do or am I wrong with that train of thought well it, it really depends because I even mentioned in my book that you know sometimes people say well if I'm spending all my money I don't need to incorporate that that's not cut and dry because you really need to analyze what are you spending the money on because mm -hmm. if you've got personal expenses that could be paid inside the corporation with corporate dollars we're saving 30 cents on every dollar ie 40 or 45 versus 15 and a half percent inside the corporation. So right away you're going to save 30 cents on every dollar and you're building up and really turning your corporation into an annuity and that's really going to be your retirement paycheck. The steps to incorporate is really to work with a lawyer and I have a network of lawyers that I can recommend or you can sometimes go through the college but uh, the lawyer will incorporate you and then based upon they'll do a name search so it's usually you know Dr. Andrea Smith uh, and, and a name for your corporation and then you get the college to bless it and you're now incorporated you would need to open up a corporate bank account yeah and then all of your billable earnings now get directed into your corporation as opposed to you personally so does it matter how much I'm producing every year for that to be beneficial or even as a startup, like a startup ND who hasn't even put anything into her business, hasn't even had a patient come into her office or his, could you incorporate from the get-go? Well, it really depends on what their lifestyle expenses are. Okay. So if their lifestyle expenses are 3000 a month or 5000 a month, so let's use 5000 a month, that's $60,000 per year. But, you know, if, if you're grossing $100,000 or $110,000 per year, right away we could be paying you differently. And we okay. still would be saving maybe ten, fifteen, dollars or $20,000 inside that corporation. And, you know, over a 10, 20, 30-year period, that can turn into millions of dollars inside your corporation. Mm -hmm. And then once you decide to no longer practice, your corporation is kind of what we call shut down, but it moves from being an active corporation to becoming a holding company. 
Okay. And so in retirement, you can still dividend that money out to you. And I'll give you an example. You know, on your income tax, it's the first $11,400 is considered like tax-free income okay. on, your, on your income taxes. Well, in the dividend world, the first 40000 is tax-free. Oh. So it's treated a little differently because it's already been taxed inside the corporation at 15.5%, and then you're dividending yourself out. And so that's why I try to work on, the, from a cash flow perspective, how much do you need to enjoy your lifestyle? Mm -hmm. How much can we live in the corporation? How many children do you have? How old are they? How much money do you believe in, in sharing the, the child care expenses for a university with your child, or would you like to pay for it fully? So these are all decisions that you make as part of the financial planning process. And then we start to build up what I call buckets of money inside the corporation to be ready when you need it. Wow. Well, that sounds pretty amazing to me. And I'm so thankful that at least in Ontario, we now have that option because we didn't have that before this year. So um, now if you owned multiple practices, would it still be in corporation or would it be a different thing that we could put ourselves under? Well, typically, like I have one particular medical professional who's practicing here in Ontario and Alberta, and unfortunately, they could only have one corporation in Ontario. Okay. And so it didn't make business sense to incorporate in Alberta. So, in fact, in that financial plan, we're not taking, we've now decided not to take a lot of money out of the Ontario-based corporation. And all the money that we're, we're getting in Alberta, we're going to create that as T Ford income. And so life changes as things change because this particular medical professional only started working in Alberta in September and she has been a client for over a year. So that wasn't in the cards when we first developed the plan, but sure. the plan grows as life changes. And is there any downfall to um, incorporating yourself maybe if your lifestyle doesn't require it, maybe if something does happen, I don't know what the examples would be, but is there a downside to doing it? Well, there's not really a downside to incorporating unless you're not going to be serious and stay practicing as a natural path because, okay. you know, there are costs of setting it up. Maybe it might cost around 1500 to $2,000 to incorporate. Okay. You do have to do a corporate tax return every year. And so that could be an extra thousand or fifteen hundred dollars from a okay. corporate tax return, depending how complicated your practice is. Uh, so these are things you have to look at from a cost perspective. On the savings side, you know, it really gets down to how much cash flow do you need to enjoy your lifestyle, and mm -hmm. how much, if any, can we leave inside the corporation? If we can't leave anything inside the corporation, or we can't move expenses inside the corporation then maybe the decision is not to incorporate. Okay, good. Now, for myself, I'm starting to do a lot more online ventures. So I'm trying to balance not only my brick and mortar practices, but also do online programs. So on the website, um, maximizedbusiness.ca, I have a couple of online courses that people can invest in. If I incorporate myself, does it only cover myself as a practitioner or could it incorporate my brand, the Maxim Movement, and that becomes sort of the umbrella term for everything that I do as a business owner? Well, we'd have to take a look at uh, your college and see what the guidelines are for okay. corporation. Because you've just been allowed to incorporate as of July the 1st. Yes. So we would have to put that question out to them. Okay. 
uh, because I know with medical doctors, because I've been working with them from an incorporation for a number of years, there are guidelines around real estate and owning real estate inside their Got medicine it. corporation. Okay. And a lot of people try to break those rules and, and it will come back to haunt them because the only real estate that they're allowed to hold inside their corporations has to do with their medical practice. Yeah. If it's any other venture, then it's offside. And if Revenue Canada ever does an audit, they would be in trouble then. Got it. Okay. Perfect. Is there anything else about incorporations specifically that we need to know? Let me ask this. How long does it take from, like, let's say, you know what, John, I'm totally ready to incorporate. What type of a, a time lapse are we looking for? I've seen it happen in a matter of three days. Okay. Because I had another client who was separate and I introduced him <clears throat> to a lawyer. The lawyer did the name search that day. The paperwork was done. The client went in to sign it the next day. It was sent off to the college for approval and it was approved and all of the billings started to come into the corporation. So it really depends upon how well organized you are and uh, then just making sure you have the right team in place to help you. Absolutely. Now with having a lawyer, do you also need to have that lawyer sort of on standby all the time? And do you have to pay that person out or just, you know, billable hours? No, the lawyer really is only used for the incorporation process. Okay. Now, I have lawyers who do that as well as estate planning. So maybe later on in the financial planning process, we might engage with them because one of the chapters in my book deals with estate planning. But I have a very thorough estate planning questionnaire mm -hmm. that I provide to clients that allows them to you know, keep the billable hours down from a legal perspective and do some of their homework up front. Good. That way it happens a lot faster with the lawyer. But going forward, you do need to budget for an accountant because an accountant is really key. Uh, your financial planner really should be viewed as the quarterback. Okay. And you've got the lawyer and the accountant there. The lawyer is usually used at the beginning of the financial planning process because you may already have certain things in place. So we got to make sure that those are the right things that you have in place and that we have the designations correct in any type of um, estate planning you may have already started. But with the accountant, the accountant works with us in helping to develop your paycheck every year. Got it. Especially if you have kids over the age of 18. So I have my son who's down in Kentucky and I am also incorporated. So I walk the walk, I speak the speak. Yes. And so I have my son on as a shareholder and so I am dividending money out to my son he does do his income taxes, and then that's a way of doing some income splitting with my son while he's in school. Awesome. Now, if you're not incorporated, is income splitting also something that you can do with your spouse or child at a certain age? Well, that's a very good question. You see, if you're not incorporated, you're a sole proprietor. Yes. There is some limited income splitting you can do with your spouse, but it has to be justifiable in Revenue Canada's eyes because you're no longer allowed to dividend your spouse. Right. You must pay a T Ford income. So I've seen cases where people have paid thirty or forty thousand to their spouse. Revenue Canada has challenged it because yeah. based on the description of what your spouse is doing, maybe they should only be paid ten or fifteen thousand, right? Got it. And with children around the age of twelve, thirteen or fourteen, typically you could pay them about a ten thousand dollar uh, T Ford income per year for filing, cleaning out uh, the office, that sort of thing. Revenue Canada is okay with that, but if you were trying to pay anything higher than that, 
you might get stopped. But when you're paying someone a dividend, there is no pushback from Revenue Canada. There are no guidelines, and you could pay your spouse a $100,000 dividend if you wanted to, Got and it. there would be no chargeback from Revenue Canada. And the benefit of paying out in any way, shape, or form is that it's more expenses for the business, correct? So it's lowering our tax bracket, or what would the benefit be of sort of giving this money to our family members? Well, T4 income, if you're paying a T4 income, you get to deduct that as an expense inside your corporation. Okay. But then on the flip side, you've got to pay CPP on that. So right. So that would be a good thing. If you're paying a T5 dividend, that actually comes out after you've paid the 15.5% corporate taxes. So it's not a deduction inside your corporation, but it is a way of doing income splitting. Because I, you know, I had uh, two clients or a client where they needed uh, $10,000 a month in lifestyle expenses. And so I was able to pay a $65,000 dividend to the medical professional and $65,000 dividend to the spouse. And each of them only had to pay $5,000 in taxes on that much of money. Wow. Because remember, the first 40000 is tax-free. Right. And so they netted out 120000 after taxes personally, and we were able to leave the other money inside the corporation. So again, a dividend... There is no challenge from Revenue Canada on that, but on a T4 income inside a corporation or personally, it's got to be justifiable in the eyes of Revenue Canada. And can you just very quickly explain what the 15.5% is on the corporate tax that you've been describing? Yes, inside for personally, you know, you're going to be based on your income taxes, you're probably in a 30, 35, or 40% tax bracket. But on the first 500,000, of income in a small business corporation, it's only fifteen and a half percent taxes. As a, oh, as opposed to forty percent. So let well, me put as it. In, you, sorry. As you go up, well, actually, as you go above the five hundred thousand threshold, it might only go up to twenty-one percent taxes. So let me just put it into numbers. Let's say I gross a hundred and sixty thousand. My net is forty thousand. How would that work with regards to taxes and how would being just a sole proprietor um, be taxed versus a uh, incorporation? Okay, so 165000 as a sole proprietor. Now you've taken out your income as well, your T4 income and those expenses to bring it down to 40000 Is that correct? Yes. Okay, so the rest of that 40000 would still be taxed because you're not a corporation. Right. So whatever income, so w how that would work is you'd look at the 165000 What are your personal business expenses yep. before your income? Because everything else is considered income to you. Yes, that's right. So you would be in the highest around 40 or 45. However, if you were incorporated, that 165000 would go into your corporation. You would subtract off your business expenses. So let's say they're 40000 yep. or 45000 to make it easy. Then you'd have 120000 left in the corporation. question is, do you want a T4 income? Because the T4 income would come off of that one twenty mm -hmm. before the corporation pay taxes. Or do you want a dividend income, right? So let's, let's look at the T4 income. If you needed a T4 income of 70000 the 70000 would now come off of that one twenty. And you would have 50000 left inside your corporation, and then your corporation would only pay 15.5% taxes on that 50000 Wow, what a difference, eh? Now, if you did the dividend, so you had 120000 you would pay 
15.5% taxes on the 120000 and then you would take out a dividend, but you wouldn't need to take out 70000 because 70000 was T4 income, which probably netted right. out fifty. whereas we probably only need to take out 55000 out of the corporation or 54000 as a dividend, thereby leaving more money inside your corporation. Now, what about those people that are just getting started? Because my focus is really to help people that are, you know, getting going. They just graduated. This is sort of what their first year could look like. And what if they're in the hole? Because most businesses tend to be for the first, excuse me, year. Well, the first thing I look at with anyone just getting started is incorporation probably isn't for them out of the gate. Okay. They really need to create that revenue stream first. So I'm really looking at protecting them. And so... If they're not married, if they're single, their number one issue is their ability to get up each and every day. And that's what I talk about in my book, is that most people think their top assets in their, in their life is their house followed by their car. And really, when you take a look at it, your top asset is really your ability to get up each and every day to produce income. Sure. Because especially if you're 25 or 30 years old, you've got a 30-year time horizon. Yeah. You could be producing income. So the top thing you need to look at is disability insurance. And so disability insurance is based upon income. And so based upon what your income projections could be, there are certain insurance companies that will allow you to get that coverage without having to show that type of, of income. And then there's other insurance companies that want to see a two-year income stream before they will allow you to have that coverage. I see. But disability is so important, and I see a lot of people not having that in place out of the gate. That's really, really important. Okay. Now, if you're married, uh, then in addition to disability insurance, life insurance becomes important, especially okay. if you've bought a house together and there's debt on that house. And then life insurance becomes even more important once you start a family. Of course. Because what we're looking at is if, if the primary income earner, something were to happen, we need to make sure that there's enough insurance to cover any debt. Absolutely. That is eliminated, so there's no worries. And then we gotta look at that income replacement because there's a lifestyle that's been built up. And so it's not just covering the debts, but also covering that loss of income that just lost due to that passing of that individual. Yeah. All incredibly important points. And even when I first graduated the college, because I was twenty-eight at that time, I immediately got life insurance for that particular reason. I wasn't married and this isn't something that everybody has to do, but I also knew that the younger and the healthier you were, typically the um, lower the monthly rates are gonna be or the lower the annual rates. So the sooner you can look into life insurance and kind of get in on that lowest rate possible, the better off you're going to be. Because if you go into life insurance after having a significant illness or uh, something tragic that happens to you, it's not going to be nearly as feasible, I, I'd like to say. Now, if I'm wrong on that, please definitely um, correct me. Because again, this is very, very rudimentary to me. I'm not the best at it. No, what you just said is very perfect. Um, the younger you are, the cheaper the life insurance is. And I have another uh, topic in the book called building a pension plan because you can use your corporation or you can do it personally, but I use life insurance to build a pension plan. And okay. so typically the cheap and cheerful insurance is term insurance, whether that be term 10, term 15, or, or yes. term 20. And in fact, most of the profits that an insurance company make is on the term insurance. 
because the odds of you dying between now and 20 years from now is very low. In fact, you have higher odds of you becoming disabled than you do of dying. No doubt. That's why disability is so important. But I use permanent insurance to build a pension plan. And so this is a way of getting your corporation, in the book I use that as an example, of using money inside the corporation to pay for that permanent insurance. It pays for the insurance, but it's also creating a cash account on the side that's building up over time. And it's built like a hockey stick, uh, to use a Canadian yes. <laughs> And so it has very low cash values in the early years, but it has the cash value available for you when you go to retire. And there's ways of tapping into that cash value on a tax-free basis. So good. I'm so glad that you're talking to us today. I am like completely blown away and inspired and, and I love it. So the one thing that you did um, talk about in the first chapter of your book, and the book again is Heal Thy Wealth, which I think is kind of funny because it's like healthy wealth, but you split up the <laughs> heal and thy. Um, is the top 20 questions to rule out a good or poor financial planner. So you don't have to rhyme off all of them off the top of your head, but what are some of the key things that we want to look for other than the letters that follow after their names to make sure we're talking to somebody who knows what they're doing and they're going to take care of us as the sole proprietor? Correct. So obviously we talked about the acronyms, but that's only a part of it. So you really got to start looking at questions of, okay, um, are you working for a specific company or are you independent? Because where I used to work at one of the largest mutual fund companies in Canada, I had a lot of conflicts of interest. The only way I could get paid, so I would produce a financial plan, but the only way I could get paid was by selling you very expensive mutual funds. And so you need to know right off the bat, what are the conflicts of interest that this individual may or may not have right out of the gate? So you need to understand and ask, how do you get paid? And so they need to be upfront to let you know. Like in my case, I do a fee for service. So if you just need a financial plan built, I will do that for you. You can either implement that through me or implement that through another financial planner. But you also need to make sure you're working with someone that doesn't have these conflicts of interest because mm -hmm. again, where I used to be, I only represented a subset of three insurance companies. Right. And now I represent over 25 insurance Makes companies. a huge difference. Oh, there's so many other choices out there that I wasn't able to get access to yeah. for my clients. And in the case now, especially in 2016, a lot more openness will be showing on people's statements. So you'll be able to see the fees because there's a lot of hidden fees okay. inside yeah. mutual funds. And people getting started usually gravitate towards mutual funds. Yeah. There's a lot more cost-effective uh, investment opportunities out there that are, are half the cost of mutual funds that have a very strong track record without having this conflict of interest. Oh, sneaky. I would say that that's sneaky. <laughs> <laughs> Not sneaky on my part. Sneaky no, on. of course. That, but was it... reason, that was one of the reasons why I left. It was really my clients that were getting fed up with buying mutual funds because they wanted to pay me. And they felt obligated. Yeah. And they would buy these mutual funds, but with mutual funds, you can't write off the management fees. Oh, got it. And so if you have a corporate account or a personal account, you can't write off those management fees. Now in this world that I work in, and I use what are called ICPMs, Investment Counselor Portfolio Management Companies, 100% of the fee, first of all, the fee is much lower, mm -hmm. but 100% of the fee is written off inside your corporation. So really, 
you're only getting charged half of that fee. So it's a fraction. Like I did an example in my book about a mutual fund fee versus a new fee, and the numbers would just stagger your mind. Right. My goodness. And it's so unfortunate because these are people that are potentially just starting out or they've been in business for a few years and now they're kind of being screwed over so to speak because they don't know any better because they just think that the, you know everyone should be um, certified by their their board and they should you know not do these kind of dodgy things and we have no idea what's going on behind the curtain right that's correct and that's why those 20 questions and they're there for a reason uh, even when I do my dinner seminar series, I do a subset of those. I do about 13 of them in, in the uh, dinner seminar that I run. And it just gives them a feel for, okay, I haven't asked these questions before. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the questions very simply is, I believe my financial planner has my best interest at heart, yes or no. Uh-huh. So that's a gut kind of answer, right? But then you get into, I do have a written financial plan that shows me the exact target dates of when I'm going to retire yes or no. Uh, I have a predictable revenue stream as part of my retirement paycheck, yes or no. I fully understand the fees that I'm paying, yes or no. Mm -hmm. I'm able to write off these fees, yes or no. So it opens the door to all sorts of questions that people haven't been asking over the years. I'm so thankful that you've written this book. And is it out yet? Have you released it? Are you still in the midst of publishing it? Or where are we at with the book? The book will be out, uh, in fact, I was on the phone with my book publisher today. As you know, you know, writing a book is just part of the step in the process. Yeah. But uh, we're looking at launching uh, it. The book should be out before the end of January, but probably the book launch probably won't be to the March time frame. But I'm also involved in supporting uh, what's called Daffodil at the University of Toronto. It's for the uh, uh, Canadian Cancer Society. And so $10 from the sale of every book uh, is actually going back to the Canadian Cancer Society and they've graciously agreed to participate in my press release which will be coming out in January. And $5 from the sale of every book will be going into the Peel region into Knight's Table which is a food bank for families in Peel region because one in five families in Peel region are tapping into that food bank on a monthly basis. Well, how wonderful is that? Now, if people wanted to, let's, you know, maybe they can't make it to your book launch and they wanted to pre-order a book or peruse, you know, the cover at least, how could they get a, a, a quick peek? Or what can we offer people that are listening today to get in touch with you so if they want to have a piece of your knowledge that they can do that? Well, a couple different ways. They can go up to my website, which is www.moklerwealthmanagement.com. So that's M-O-A-K-L-E-R, wealthmanagement, all one word, .com. And up there they can take a look at, at some of the services that we provide. That website will go through a change in January with the launch of the book. Sure. It probably will happen in early December. And I will be previewing, uh, for those that are interested in sign up, they'll be able to preview about three of the chapters without having to make any type of financial commitment. So they can see the type of writing and the type of value that comes from the book. And then they'll be able to order that online. And so we do have an info at moklerwealthmanagement.com that they can email to. And there is an office number up there as well, which is area code 416 840 
And if you're listening in your car right now, I'm not asking you to scramble for a pen or anything like that. Please just keep driving. Just go to my website, maximizedbusiness.ca, and you'll have all the information with John right on my website so you don't have to remember all these numbers. Now we've talked in, in such a beautiful way about incorporation and what people should do to start up. Is there anything that we've missed that you think people would really um, that maybe it's not commonplace to talk about that that we as sole proprietors that we as healthpreneurs could truly truly benefit from when it comes to properly running our business managing our finances anything along those lines well it really starts off with again starting the financial planning process with someone you trust so you've got to sit down and find a trusted advisor that hopefully doesn't have conflicts of interest. That's mm -hmm. the first step. Then taking a look at making sure from a risk management perspective, if something happened in your life and you couldn't go to work tomorrow, you're covered. Uh, both from a work perspective or, or a family perspective. And that takes into consideration disability insurance, life insurance, critical illness insurance, which is a huge section in my book as well. And then getting into investment management because, you know, part of what we're doing here is making sure that those hard earned dollars are actually making you money at the end of the day. And so making sure you have a good investment platform that is cost effective for you. And then the next stage is building a pension plan because we, you know, you do not have a pension plan. And so there's a couple of different opportunities inside the book to talk to building a pension plan. And whether you do that as a sole proprietor or you do that as an incorporated individual, there are choices for both. And then the next step is to make sure that because seven out of 10 people I sit down with do not have a will. And so you need to make sure that you sit down and there's tools again in my book about drafting a will. And it talks about, you know, if you have children, making sure that if you have, uh, you know, guardians for the children, I highly recommend that the guardians for the children are not the same people as the executors of your estate. It's just to keep that conflict of interest and an extra checkpoint in place that if the guardians need money, they have to ask a third party to get right. it. Right. Good point. Actually, my husband and I are just drafting our will now, now that Aria is born. And I feel like such an awful parent because we don't have one out yet. But I'm glad that you made that because now I'm thinking about who were the list of guardians that we had and who were the executors of the will and are they crisscrossing so very good point and yes everyone needs to have not only a will but also um, a living will too so I also encourage people to look into that where if you are um, hospitalized and um, you're not able to make choices about what the next steps are definitely thinking about that living will um, for you know do you want to um, do you want to like DNR or do you want to have a feeding tube or sort of what you'd like your life to look like outside of that? So both of those things, I think it's power of attorney and it, it, it's, it's, it's your, it's your will. And then the separate documents to that, because it's not inside the will. There's separate That's correct. documents. Yes. It's power of attorney yes. for property and power of attorney for healthcare or sometimes referred to as you did as a living will. Yeah. Now, the powers of attorney for property is quite interesting. I even did an example in the book. Some people think that only comes into place later in life, but if you're on a vacation somewhere and something happens to you and you're hospitalized yeah. for one or two months, 
your power of attorney for property can kick in while you're out of the country and that trusted person whoever that is can help pay for your bills can mm. help send you money so it can get turned on and turned off throughout your lifetime so it's very important you get these documents in place and then the next step is the estate planning so from a standpoint of what's the legacy that you're looking at leaving do you want to make sure that you know I, I always recommend using what are called testamentary trusts and Testamentary trusts are a way of leaving money to the next generation with mm -hmm. some strengths attached. Sure. But it also helps if, because I have three kids, and the odds are one of them is going to get married and divorced. I want to make sure that that ex-spouse doesn't get any of my estate. So there are ways of right. making sure you draft it to make sure that that doesn't happen. Absolutely. And all of this is, it. you know what, and maybe it's my youth or my age that's kicking in, but I do not like all these adult decisions that we have to make. <laughs> this is a lot of adult decisions we are needing to make, but uh, all very, very important, right? Because it's just sort of, you know, it's, it's a guarantee that we're going to get critically ill or die someday. So we have to make sure that we're taking care of all these things. That's correct. Yeah, we haven't figured out a way of getting around dying yet. So. No, I'm sure someday maybe that um, cryogenic freezing might take into effect. <laughs> but anyways, um, before we finish up, and I just want to tell you, John, we are going to have you on the show again because I know you have so much more to offer us. And this has been so enlightening to me and I'm sure everyone that's listening. Do you have any quick sort of business hacks that we could think about implementing into our business today with regards to accounting, with regards to bookkeeping, with regards to things that we need to be watching out for, um, whether it's before we file our taxes or how we can manage our business a little bit better. Any sort of quick tips that you could leave us with today? Well, certainly it really gets into if you're using your automobile for your work. Okay. Like if you're just going to one destination to deliver your service, chances are you can't write off your full automobile because Revenue Canada won't allow you to do that. But if you are traveling to multiple locations, and that does justify the ability of writing off either a leased vehicle or a purchased vehicle. And again, there's a calculation that your financial planner can help work out as to what makes business sense for you. Should I lease that car or mm. should I buy that car or right. should I finance that car? And then really taking a look at your expenses and saying, okay, if I do go down that path of incorporation, you know, list out your expenses and then determine which ones are, are business related and which ones are, are personal. And if you're working out of a home office, there are ways of writing off some of your mortgage interest expense, some of your hydro, some of your uh, internet expenses, mm -hmm. your telephone expenses. So all of these things, even though you're maybe paying for them personally, you really could shift that into the corporation. And I always recommend getting a separate credit card so that you're you're, you're tracking your business Absolutely. expenses on a separate credit card. Yep. I will mention one more thing from a, from a Will's perspective because if you are incorporated, uh, I always recommend a business will or secondary will because everything inside your corporation, if you have that second will, does not get hit with probate in the province of Ontario. What does that mean? Well, whenever, whenever you pass away and you have a will, it's a public process and everything has to be probated to make sure that there are no challenges against your estate. And that probate per, per process goes through the courts in Ontario and depending upon the asset, it could be one to one and a half percent probate 
that you will pay on each one of those assets before it goes out to your beneficiaries. But if you have a business will and you have assets inside your business, then you should also have a business will. So if you're incorporated, you should also have not only a personal will, but a business will, because everything inside the business avoids probate. Okay. Cool. Any other business hacks or is that a good list for now? Uh, I think we can leave that for the next web uh, <laughs> cast that we do together. Perfect. So one more time, John, just give people um, the number one place that they can contact you and when you have your website ready, another way that we can get to the book too. Well, the website's been up there for a while. It's just going to go through a transition with the launch of the book, probably in the December time frame. So that's www.moklerwealthmanagement.com. So M-O-A-K-L-E-R, wealth, W-E-L-T-H, and then management.com. And up there, there's a lot of different tabs you can go through to learn about the financial planning process. And then there is an info at moklerwealthmanagement.com, which you can click on. If there's any seminars, because we'll be doing seminars that are going to be scheduled, you can uh, apply to attend one of those seminars. And then, of course, uh, there's the phone number up on the website directly to the office, which is 416-840-8544. Beautiful. And I'm just going to summarize what I think we learned today. Incorporation for most people, not everyone, and especially if you're starting out, Definitely interview your financial planner because not everyone is working in your best interest or will have your finances put to use in the best way. Definitely think about and get disability insurance, critical insurance, um, get a really good accountant that's going to work for you in your business and definitely draft your power of attorney or living will as well as your will and testament. Did I catch them all? You've got a very good summary there. Well done. So we are going to have you back again, John. I promise you that. As I said, everyone, if you want to see the notes from today, definitely get John's contact information and give him a holler. Um, It's on my website, www.maximizedbusiness.ca. This is Andrea Maxim, your host of the Profitable Practice Podcast, and I'm out. You guys are killer. Thank you as always for listening to the Profitable Practice Podcast. Leave me a comment and if you haven't already, I would love a review in iTunes. Definitely subscribe to this podcast and leave me a quick review. For those ready to maximize your practice, contact me at www.maximizedbusiness.ca.